Welcome church. Uh, if you do not know me, my name is Jeremy Hager and things are a little different this morning here on uh, July 12th. Um, last night the storm came through and we had um, a lot of obviously wind damage as a lot of the city has. Uh, we do have power but um, we had roof damage and we have a water damage in uh, the sanctuary, most of it around the stage. And so right now, as we speak, as I'm recording this, uh, we're working on that. We're trying to get that all fixed. But because of that, we had to cancel um, our church service this morning. So we're putting uh, this video out for you to um, watch and enjoy at home. I pray that you would um, get uh, check your email, check the website. You'll get the uh, liturgy guide that will for sure help this week um, as, you, as you're staying at home watching this. So I'm going to start with a call to worship, and uh, we're going to look at Psalm 121 on our call to worship. A call to worship is, is a time, um, it, we, we would do it in obviously the service to help uh, focus us for that time of worship, to help us set our sights on God, and it, the frazzledness that comes with Sunday morning sometimes, the, the, our, our minds are scattered and wandering oftentimes on Sunday morning, so I encourage you now, even as you're at home, um, uh, center yourself. Use this next few minutes to really concentrate on God's Word and what He wants to do um, in you this morning. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray. Father, I pray for our time. We know your word is, is, uh, is good and sufficient, um, even um, in a context that we don't normally uh, preach it and teach it. And we trust that um, even through uh, technology and video this morning, you would, you would trust, we would trust you, you would move in our minds and our hearts as a result of digging into your word and trying to listen to see what you have for us this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing on in our series, walking through the book of Psalms. Specifically this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 84. Psalm 84, if you want to follow at home, along at home, in your Bible, I encourage you to go there now. Um, as I was thinking about this this morning, um, <clears throat> we're going to hear um, some language the psalmist gives us in this psalm, especially at the beginning, or really even all throughout, that... Um, is a little different from what we uh, commonly speak, how we normally speak. Um, although I think we all feel these things, we don't often hear these things or for sure voice these things out loud. Um, when Nicole and I were first dating, and uh, we, we dated long distance uh, for the majority of our time that we dated before uh, we were married, and there was this always this intense longing to be with her. Like even when I was doing other things, she was in another city, like I really like thought a lot during the day about her. And ultimately I just wanted to be 
with her. I wanted to be near her. I wanted to be around her. I wanted to be in her presence. Um, and this, this goes for other things as well, when, when even um, outside of long-distance dating relationships, which I'm sure those of you who've had those can relate. Um, but when you, when you love someone, your kids, when you have to leave your kids at home, and, and, and you go out of town for a vacation or, or stay overnight somewhere, um, you long to be with them um, when you're apart from them. Could be your spouse, could be kids that are watching this. When you go um, maybe to a camp or you have a sleepover at someone's house, there's probably a sense that um, after a while you long to be back home. You long to be back home in the presence of your parents. And this is what the psalmist, I think, is feeling inside as he writes this psalm. There's this longing to be in the presence of God. So it's important as much as we can to put ourselves in the psalmist's shoes today. The two main ideas we see in this psalm are blessing and presence. Blessing and presence. The psalmist is proclaiming what it is like to have the blessing of God in the midst of his presence. Or the, the, the fact that when we are, are, are in his presence, it leads to a greater sense of blessing. So let's read the first two verses here. And we'll kind of walk through this verse by verse as we often do. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. So, oh, 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 instead of lovely there, how beautiful. Or how, um, how happy. How joyful is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And verse 2 says... My soul longs, longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy. It didn't say his mouth sings for joy. The psalmist says, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So the first idea here, I think we need to understand to really get this psalm and have it have the effect that I think we, we want it to have on us and that God wants it to have on us is to understand presence. What, is, what does the presence of God mean? What does that have to do with what the psalmist is talking about? And I want to refer to a book uh, called The Reappearing Church by an author by the name of Mark Sayers. Um, I think this is a must-read book um, for all Christians. It's an incredible book. But I want to read a couple paragraphs from um, this chapter on the presence of God. And specifically, uh, he, he, in this, this part, he's talking about temples, the temples of God. Um, temples were at the center of the Gentile nations that surrounded Israel. Then he quotes a guy by the name of John Wall. The role of the temple in the ancient world is not primarily a place for people to gather and worship like modern churches. It is a place for the deity, sacred space. It is his home, but more importantly, his headquarters, the control room. Idols were housed within these temples, representing the rule of that particular God within the universe. Temples operated as models of the universe. They served as maps of reality, which attempted to mirror the life system of the universe in miniature. They were microcosms, little universes, or microworlds. This was the role of the temple. He goes on, as models of the universe, temples operated as control rooms, essential linkages between the divine and human realms. Places that provided a lever of control over reality where the life system of the universe could be manipulated and pushed towards health or where neglect could see the cosmos drift again towards chaos. 
Temples were considered the consider of power, control, and order from which deity brings order to the human world. Fertility, prosperity, peace, and justice emanate from the deity's presence there, observes Walton, illustrating the importance that the presence of a deity was to the functioning of ancient temples. Um, even today, uh, Sayer says, the understanding that temples are models of our life systems um, that offer us a chance to move in and man manipulate our worlds. So we can see how our societies, cities, malls, sports stadiums, social media platforms, online habitats, and even our homes operate as temples, microcosms in which, through following the liturgical practice of our culture ascribed to us, we try to move the world and our lives towards flourishing. And so what Sayers is trying to connect here is trying to connect when, um, when the Bible uses the term temple for where God's presence um, lived or where God's presence was, it was a huge deal. It was more than just brick and mortar, as, as oftentimes we think of our church building. Um, the presence of where God call, calls, calls home is one of the primary one of the primary ideas of God's people throughout the scriptures. It was where he dwelled. The, it started in the Garden of Eden. And you remember the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness after the Exodus. You have the they walked and were guided by the, the, the pillar of, of fire and the cloud. Cloud during the day, pillar of fire by night. And then you have the tabernacle, kind of a temporary temple that could be moved around a little bit easier. And this is where God's presence was to be. Everything revolved around the tabernacle. And then it was the temple. The temple was built, and then everything revolved around the temple. And then you have Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, and now God is with man. He has incarnated himself. Therefore, the temple um, is not necessarily needed anymore because we have Jesus, the embodiment of God himself. And then Jesus ascends back to the Father, and then he sends the Holy Spirit. And so now God's presence dwells within those who believe and are united to Jesus. So we have this from the garden to revelation. God's presence is very, very important and an important part of our faith. And um, and this, and the psalmist says here that he's saying it's, it's, it, the temple is lovely and it's beautiful, uh, not because of its architecture, because, it's, because that's where God is, right? He's not walking saying, oh, this temple is beautiful, and, and, and it was in some degree. Um, but he's talking about this because God is there. And he's saying there's no place that I'd rather be rather um, in the temple. Then we see uh, verse 2, my soul longs, yes, faints. For the courts of the Lord, my heart flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalmist is speaking from his inner being here. He uses words like heart and flesh cry out to be in the presence of the living God. And once again, this language is a little foreign to us, I think most of us. John Calvin says this about what the psalmist is feeling here. Certainly, at present, the prayers of the faithful are so cold that we should be greatly ashamed and confused, talking about his time period that John Calvin ministered in. The Psalms can stimulate us to raise our hearts to God and arouse us to an ardor in invoking as well as in exalting with praises the glory of his name. So he's saying that if our faith is dead, if we're not feeling the, um, the, the experiential nature with God, we don't have that spiritual vitality, John Calvin says, Go to the Psalms, because you run into Psalms like Psalm 84, and really understand what the psalmist is saying here. Let's go on to verse 3. The psalmist says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and even the swallow a nest for herself, 
where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And this verse is just saying that even the smallest things, like birds, birds are often used in the, in the, in the scriptures for meaning something that's alive, but, but kind of insignificant. Um, that even though this, this, this Lord is king and there's this majestic temple and God's presence is there, yet this is a place where birds can call home. Birds can build their nets. Birds can take care of their young in the presence of God because that's the kind of God he is. And verse 4 says, blessed, and this is that first, first time we get this word, in this passage, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And that right there is kind of the, the thesis of this psalm. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So he's connecting blessing to being in God's presence, to being where God's at. And so I think we can say that when we are in God's presence, we are blessed in a, in a particular way. Now, blessed here doesn't necessarily mean, can mean a little bit of kind of that hashtag blessed idea that we see, but really this is a, um, this is a deeper spiritual blessing that is given to us by God. It's not earned. It's not, we don't work towards it. It is something that God gives us, and it's primarily talking about spiritual blessings. When blessed is used in the scriptures, it is primarily speaking to a spiritual blessing. So when we are in the presence of God and we're aware of that, we receive a spiritual blessing. And they were, the, the, the psalmist here was, they were longing for home. They were longing to be in the place where God was at. And so that, the psalmist sets up really the rest of the psalm with what we just talked about. And he, he talks about the blessedness that is received when, when people uh, are with God and, and, and reside in the house of God. Now he's going to shift to those who, who really go on a pilgrimage. Go on a pilgrimage. Listen to verse 5. Blessed, there's that word again, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's interesting, their heart are the highways to Zion. What this means is, is that the, 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 the person of God is not wandering aimlessly through life. Like their heart is, there's a direction, there's a, there's a, um, there's, there's a direction that their heart and love is pointed and that is towards Zion or the place where God dwells, where God's home is. They are, God's people are moving towards something um, internally, okay? Now, verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one, each one appears before God in Zion. This valley of Baca, it's a, it's a dark place. It's a desolate place. Uh, it's probably metaphorical because uh, historians and archaeologists haven't been able to find an actual valley of Baca, but it, it's, this is a familiar thing in Psalms to use metaphor to describe a desolate and lonely place. But he says, even though the person of God walks through this valley, they make it a place of springs. So when we go through periods of dryness and struggles, um, these times can lead to growth. Right here it's in verse 7, it says they go from strength to strength. They, they grow in their strength is what that means. But as they are going through places like the Valley of Baca, um, they can also find refreshment and rest even in the midst in, of, in valleys of pain and struggle. Okay, so there, there's two kind of meanings to that. We, we get stronger as we go through these valleys because of the presence of God. And also we can actually um, flourish while we're in the middle of those desolate places. In verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. 
There's that word, the Selah. It's the second time that word's been mentioned in the psalm. And if you're reading this, it's, it's a part of kind of a worship gathering and liturgy. This is kind of where you pause. It's a reflection word. It's a time where you, you kind of breathe out and reflect and rest in what you have just said. And then now, verse 9 says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Now, who's God's anointed in this context? Um, it, it's, it's, it's Jesus. This is, this is a shadow or a pointer to uh, the person of Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.18, listen to what Peter says. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that or so that he might bring us to God. So Jesus did what he did to unite us in him, but reconcile us back to God, which is another way to say, bring us back fully into the presence of God. And so the prayer here for the psalmist is saying in verse 9, behold our shield, O God. Like, here is our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. And this is Jesus, right? This is talking about Jesus, especially for us as we read the psalms after um, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so this, this, the fulfillment of this promise is found in Christ. Verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousands elsewhere. That, that line has been used in a lot of psalms. For a day in your courts is better than a thousands elsewhere. And, the, and we don't want to rush over that to, to it meaning some like pie in the sky hyperbole the psalmist is using there. It's, he's being serious. He's saying one day. One day in your courts, one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. And he goes on, I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be kind of the lowliest of the low in your house where you are at um, than, um, than dwell in the tits of the wickedness, right? So he's saying that he could have a better status in other places where you aren't, but I'd rather just get in your door, just to be in your house because that's how much God meant to this psalmist. The question for us, and I go, the question for me as I read that, is that, is that how I feel? Is that, the, is that what I feel and how I feel about the presence of God? Thinking back to that illustration at the beginning, when we talked about loved ones and, and longing to be with people that you love when you're not with them. Do I have the same longing to be with God? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Verse 11, for the, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And here that, that walking uprightly can mean, um, I think it means that, that, God, that Jesus has reconciled us back um, to God. And so we are upright because we have his righteousness. That's one way to look at this. But that uprightness can also mean um, actually just living a life that's honorable to God. That's another way to be upright in day-to-day -day life as we walk. And he's saying, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. And that's just that word again, blessed. And we see it. Blessed is the one who trusts So you have this idea of, of being in his presence, going on a pilgrimage where his presence is there, or is at least in memory of the people of God. And now you have, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And Mark Sayers, again, I want to go back to this book. Um, he says that um, while humans play a role in creation in the life system, it creates or fulfills our needs. The whole system is centered around him. 
with God's presence serving as the defining element of existence. The last one here, last quote. We can now see that the, the first difference between Israel's temples and our failing temples, those things we look towards to for worship and for value and for love, and our life systems, both ancient and modern, is the presence or absence of God's dwelling. Here's the good news for us. If we are in Christ, if you have professed faith, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Like the Spirit, the presence of God lives inside of you. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go to a tabernacle. You don't even have to come to church to experience the presence of God. Although you should come to church because there's something about the, the saints corporately gathered together, singing, praying, reading scripture, sitting under the word of God. I'm not minimizing that. But it's true. In all of us, the Holy Spirit resides. Those of us who have faith in him. You just think about that for a minute. The, the, the life system of the Israelite, of the person of God, revolved around a physical location where God's presence was. And now he's inside all of us. What that makes me want to do is take advantage of that. To think about at any given time, if I focus myself, this is where there's some work on our end, if, I, if we focus ourselves, if we push other things to the edges, if we discipline ourselves to create some rhythms in our life where we can seek the presence of God and sit in his presence, we can, I think, have the same kind of the feelings and the experience and the spiritual vitality that this psalmist has. Who wouldn't want to say these things about God? And it's, it, we have access to this through the person and work of Jesus. So my prayer today is that we would find time. We find time to be in his presence. And yes, because he uh, dwells inside of those who, who, who love him, um, he's with us all the time. But it's on our end to actually focus on that. Do we focus on that? Do we pray about that? Do we meditate on that? Do we read the scripture so the spirit can speak to us through his word? Those are things that are on our end that we have to do in order to fully experience the blessing that I think God wants to give us through his spirit. Here's how I want to close. If you're listening to this and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to, to think about what do you look towards? What's your temple? What's your place of worship? What is the thing that you're looking to to save you? Because again, temples in the Old Testament were something new. There were temples all over the place, and people would come to these temples hoping and praying that the gods who that supposedly lived in these temples would actually give them the things that they desired and they wanted. And then they would manipulate that God. They would bring this God's sacrifices to be able to get what they wanted from him. And this got so um, just backward and, and, and horrific that in some cultures you start to see kids child sacrifices and human sacrifices happening at temples because the, the humans were trying to make their gods do what they wanted them to do. And if they thought they weren't listening, what they, they just upped the ante of that sacrifice. So in our day and age, what is your temple? What is that thing you look to for satisfaction? And, and how's that working? And why not consider um, a relationship with God that puts you and gives you access into his presence at any time. So if you want to do that, I just pray that you would, you would trust in him, believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a death, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and he is alive today. And if you believe that and have faith in that, and believe that Jesus took the wrath that God had um, that was headed for you, took that upon himself to make a way for you to be reconciled back to God, just trust, just pray, and ask God to help you believe that. And tell someone, tell a friend, tell someone that that is what has happened 
to you. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to send us out with a benediction. God, thank you for your word. I thank you that your spirit has inspired this word, and the spirit lives inside of those who follow you. Um, I, I'm thankful that our spirit can help us understand and we can hear from you through your word, and that we don't have to um, go to a physical place to receive your blessing and receive your to, to, to be in your presence. Your spirit lives inside of us. He's the helper. He's the guide. He's the, 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 the counselor. All of the things the, the, the scripture says about the spirit, we have those inside of us. God, I pray you would help us walk by the spirit. I pray you would help us be mindful of the spirit. I pray that we would receive the spiritual blessings that come from being in your spirit uh, by focusing and meditating and um, allowing our lives to be shaped by your spirit and your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read this over. It's Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's that, that home idea again. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Talking about us and the Spirit uniting us in a body. Verse 22. In Him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, I'm thankful for you all. Um, I'm thankful that you uh, took the time to watch this today. I speak on behalf of all the leaders. Um, we love you and we're praying for you. Um, have a good day.